Hi, Margie Kurkowski with Wright Harima Architects, Chair of Programs, along with Tony Smaniato with Studley and Megan Marshall of Jones Lang LaSalle. Bear with me, I have a lot to say today, unfortunately. Uh, on the 15th next week, we have our upcoming G8 NATO executive briefing at the Federal Reserve Bank Center, uh, sponsored by Corporate Concepts. And I'm very pleased to announce that we're sold out and over capacity. So if you have registered and for some reason you think you won't be able to make it, please let us know because we do have a waiting list and a lot of people are very interested in coming. Uh, because of strict security procedures, uh, the program will start promptly at 5, so arrive promptly at 4.30 and we'll get you up to the third floor. Uh, next month's luncheon is on March 8th. We have Adam Meek from Brownfield Management Associates. He'll be moderating a panel focusing on the U.S. Steel Southworks Development Project and how to enable creative strategies for redeveloping large former industrial sites. Uh, today's program is being podcast. We have an extensive library of past programs, and they're all posted to the Cornet website. If you have your MCR, you receive one continuing education credit for each luncheon you attend. There is a sign-up sheet and see Beth Brower or Chris Glatz uh, by the registration desk. Uh, we encourage your feedback at the end of the program. You'll receive an email survey. Please fill those out. We do love to hear everyone's feedback. Uh, today's topic, TIFF, Chicago's villain or hero. Thank you, Jennifer Fitzgerald with Duff and Phelps for helping us organize the panel today. Uh, please welcome to the stage our distinguished speakers. We have Alderman Jason Irvin of the 28th Ward. He was appointed in January 2011 by then-Mayor Richard Daly. Prior to serving as alderman, uh, Irvin served on the local school council at Tilton Elementary School and Westinghouse Career Academy. Alderman Irvin sits on six committees, Economic Capital and Technology Development, Education and Child Development, Finance, Pedestrian and Traffic Safety, Transportation and Committees, and Roles and Ethics. Uh, Michael Moses, Financial Services Director for SNC Electric. As a global provider of equipment and services for the electronic power industry, with its headquarters and research and development operations here in Chicago. Michael is responsible for overseeing all of the company's tax operations, and he was part of a major task force which led SNC's 47-acre industrial campus to be designated as a TIF district. Michael Jasso, the Managing Deputy Commissioner of the City of Chicago, Department of Housing and Economic Development, uh, Michael oversees the Bureau of Economic Development focused on job creation and fostering citywide revitalization. Prior to Chicago, he served as Special Assistant in the District of Columbia Government, developing and overseeing the district's TIF program. He was involved in several significant projects, including Gallery Place, Mandarin Oriental Hotel, and the new $500 million Nationals Baseball Stadium. The panel will be moderated by Joe Pileski, Director of Business Advisory Services at Duff & Phelps. Joe has over 25 years of economic development experience. Prior to Duff & Phelps, Joe served for two of the top five public accounting firms and negotiated state and local tax incentives on behalf of various clients in the U.S. and Canada. He also served on local government positions as Assistant Comptroller for the City of Chicago and provided analysis for over 30 TIF districts. Uh, Joe, please come to the stage. Okay, thank you very much, Margie, for that introduction. Before we get started, I think it, it would be helpful to learn a little bit about our audience today. Can I see a show of hands of how many people in our audience have worked or been a part of a project in, that involved tax increment financing? Thank you. How many people in our audience, even if you haven't worked directly on a TIF project, feel that they have a feel that you have a basic understanding of how tax increment financing works. Great. So we have pretty much half to three quarters of you either understanding how TIF works and are working directly on a project. That's really important because part of the success of this event will be getting questions from all of you based on your experience. We've got three great panelists. We're going to move through their presentations rather quickly and really want to focus most of our attention this afternoon on some questions and answers. We should be talking about TIF, 
because it's very important. It is the most important economic development tool in the city of Chicago. The TIF reform panel recently reported that the city has 163 TIF districts covering 30% of the land area in the city and has 10% of the property tax base contained within those districts. Annually, approximately $500 million is generated by the city TIF districts. The city has been a subject of controversy, though, over the years, up until this very day. In fact, we have the title of this, Villain or Hero, because depending on which article you read in the local paper or the blog, TIF can be viewed as either. We have a couple of, of quotes here from uh, various sources. One here, if we can deal with the villain side for a moment, talking about protests at the CME for the receipt of tax increment financing dollars, which were later uh, given back or, or not used by the CME. A blog by Good Jobs First was critical of the tax increment financing assistance to United Airlines Operations Center in their move to Willis Tower from a public policy perspective because it was not increasing net jobs to the region. The reader had some very strong dramatic words about the way TIF is budgeted and the level of transparency that they felt was not there in the TIF program in the city of Chicago as of 2009. In fact, just to quote the article, the, uh, the TIF budgets uh, were forged behind closed doors, shared only in pieces with certain aldermen, and never fully disclosed to citizens." End quote. And even though Mayor Emanuel has taken decisive steps with the reform panel and in his recent public announcements, a public watchdog group has said that all TIF subsidies should be stopped and a moratorium should be put on them until all the TIF reforms are fully implemented. Clearly, there's a level of mistrust of tax increment financing. Now the hero side. A quote in a recent article about 53rd and Lake Park Avenue in Hyde Park, Hyde Park Bank President Tim Goodsell indicated that since 1982, he had been hoping for the redevelopment of this business district. And it wasn't until a tax increment financing district was brought to the table was the redevelopment possible. And as a result of that participation in other investment in other investors, there now is a $100 million redevelopment of that business corridor in Hyde Park. There have been a number of successful corporate headquarter relocations. Sarah Lee, most recently, and also Miller Coors that were brought about in part with, by the use of tax increment financing. And several years ago, the retention of USG as a headquarters in Chicago, utilizing tax increment financing. Also on the hero list, my hero list, is the recent announcement by CNA and Bank of America to repay some of the TIF funds that it recently received. And I view this as a hero category because what it means is that the city of Chicago has been our hero. They forged an agreement that had a performance arrangement. And if those performances, in this case, job retention and creation, were not met, those TIF dollars need to be repaid. And that agreement was not only put in place, but it was enforced. So kudos to the city. And then Mayor Emanuel, going beyond the TIF reform panel recommendations most recently, saying that it is a new day for tax increment financing and a new regime, end quote. And the creation, calling for the creation of a central uh, website to outline all TIF districts, to make the information visible to taxpayers and aldermen. Independent auditors will be hired to make sure developers are meeting the goals outlined in the TIF process. And similar with the, the previous remarks, those that don't face, don't meet their goals face enforcement. So before we turn it over to the panelists, I need to take a poll. How many think tax increment financing is a villain? How many think tax increment financing is a hero? How many are undecided? Thank you. Hopefully that's helpful to our panelists. Um, without further ado, I'm going to uh, turn it over. We're going to have about five to ten minutes of remarks 
starting with Alderman Irvin, and then we're going to turn it over to uh, uh, question and answers. Thanks very much, and please start thinking of your questions as we'll be looking for those shortly. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, again, it's, I'm happy to be here today uh, with Cornet. Uh, as I stated earlier, I'm an alderman of the 28th Ward. For those of you who may not know, the 28th Ward is on the west side of Chicago. Uh, under the new map, uh, we have areas such as the University Village, which is traditionally known as uh, parts of Little Italy, the south side of the Illinois Medical District, the Tri-Taylor region, and then neighborhoods going further west, including east and west Garfield Park, north Lawndale, and a portion of Austin. Uh, the title that is brought up today is uh, very interesting because I know that we've seen a lot of negative press regarding the aspects of TIF districts and the uses of some of the dollars. Uh, in my ward, I, have in, uh, I haven't seen the new ward's projections, but in my ward currently I have six different TIF districts that run in parts of the 28th ward. And each one of those districts have been uh, very helpful in the redevelopment overall of a community. I liken our uh, TIF districts as points to help us bring development to communities because in many cases we've had years of neglect, crumbling infrastructure, and these dollars, in my opinion, are useful tools to help us redevelop our communities. So half of uh, what we try to work with in, in, in the 28th Ward deals with public improvements, streets, sidewalks, lights, uh, the aesthetics and things that attract quality development and quality individuals such as yourselves to come to our communities. The other half of it, uh, we deal with incentivizing businesses to uh, join us in our community. And there's a small portion of miscellaneous uh, stuff that we work with as well. So in my opinion, as we look at TIFs going forward, the key concern that we need to understand is what blight is defined as. The original portions of the TIF Act talked about the term blight. And that's where I think a lot of the uh, issues come about is, is if something is blighted versus something that is not blighted. Uh, the ward in which I serve, I have areas of blight, and I have areas that are not blighted. However, uh, all of our areas and across the, across the communities do need assistance in some way, shape, or form. And so when we look at TIF, from a community perspective, uh, TIF funds have helped build schools in many communities. Uh, TIF funds have helped, in a sense, redevelop the communities in which uh, many of us serve and live in. So from that aspect, I, I do not view TIFs as a, as a negative uh, point. Now, some aldermen and, and my colleagues, we have this conversation about, well, I don't have any TIFs in my, in, in my ward, and I, and I tell them, I, I tell them that uh, everything must be great there because then uh, you don't have the extra stuff that we need to get done. But again, we have many challenges, and, and, and in some respects, I, I uh, disagree with the administration's view because I think that as far as improving communities, improving business climate, I think we can utilize TIF much more than what we do. And so that's been my challenge in, in convincing the policy, uh, the policy kings on the fifth floor to help us out in using uh, TIF in more creative ways. Because if we stabilize communities outside of our traditional uh, business districts, I think it will lead to a much better city, a much more productive city, and a, and a greater tax base for all of us to uh, share and reap in the benefits of. So again, um, partially, uh, and I also want to hear from you what your concerns and questions are. Because prior to, uh, I've actually sat in, in your role as a, uh, as a city administrator um, and as well as from a business perspective of trying to use TIF funds to develop and redevelop specific uh, projects. So interested to hear what your questions are, hear what your take is, and for us to try to tailor our approach from a, a legislative standpoint to be more beneficial to help businesses grow because I, I, I'm a firm believer that a rising tide lifts all boats. So as you do well, we do well. And we hope to find some of that uh, energy and efficiency and development to trickle down into the 28th Ward on the west side of Chicago. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Mike Moses. I'm Financial Services Director for S&C Electric Company. SNC is a global provider of equipment and services for the electric power industry. We are recognized as a leader in the development of proprietary products for the new smart grid electrical system. Our corporate headquarters, main manufacturing facilities, and research and development operations are located right here in Chicago in the Rogers Park area on the north side. <clears throat> 
that's kind of an aerial view of our complex and going into downtown Chicago. S&C is also an employee-owned company. And as I like to say, we actually still build something here in the United States. Uh, Joe has asked me to encapsulate in about five minutes S&C's TIF story, a story that actually dates back to almost 10 years ago when Joe first approached us. At that time, he was working for Ernst & Young and asked us if we had any, any interest into looking into a TIF arrangement. Uh, his timing turned out to be perfectly serendipitous because uh, S&C had been contemplating building a new state-of-the-art, short-circuit, high-voltage electrical testing facility here on our campus in Riders Park that was going to be called the Advanced Technology Center. The problem was that this Advanced Technology Center had been on the drawing board for about 10 years, and we were having trouble justifying the cost of the building. Uh, at first, when we were approached about the TIF, we were somewhat skeptical because, like a lot of people at that time, we thought uh, TIF funds were only available for development in blighted areas. Uh, Joe had pointed out, though, that recently, back then, that there was a kind of a new designation of TIFs and that they could be used for the development uh, of industrial park conservation areas. And this definitely piqued our interest because, you know, the construction of the Advanced Technology Center seemed to fall right into the definition of this new type of TIF. As a result, we just decided to move forward to obtain stiff, uh, TIF district status for our campus. We were fortunate that Joe and his group had some contacts within the uh, City of Chicago's Department of Planning and Development. The DPD, as it was known at that time, was the agency that you actually had to go through in order to get TIF approval. At Joe's recommendation, we also hired uh, an attorney, uh, Polsky and Associates, who had some experience in dealing with the City of Chicago on TIF issues. Now, our, our first step in discussions with the DPD was to convince them that TIF status for S&C was in the best interest of the City of Chicago. We did this by proving to them that over the next 20 years, S&C was prepared to make a commitment to spend close to $140 million to modernize and expand our manufacturing capabilities right here in Chicago. And that we would also commit to retain, at least retain, the 1,500 employees that we currently had working at our Rogers Park location. The cornerstone of this project obviously was going to be the construction of the Advanced Technology Center and with it the initial number of construction jobs that were going to be generated. The discussions with the DPD went on for about a year. Obviously they had some concerns, uh, you know, basically the economy was not doing too well at that time, you know, could S&C really afford to commit $140 million over the next 15 or 20 years? Would we be able to retain the 1,500 employees? Uh, we assured them that, you know, absent some dramatically drastic decline in, in the economy, that we were going to move forward. And once we had commit, uh, convinced the DPD, I have to admit that once they became on board, they really became an advocate for promoting S&C's TIF and discussions with various aldermen in the City of Chicago uh, City Council. As a result, the City, of, uh, City Council approved S&C as an Industrial Park Conservation Area TIF District in June of 2004. Over the next four years, we worked with the DPD to get our redevelopment plan approved. Now, before you ask, you know, Jesus, does it really take that long to get something approved? Uh, part of the issue during that time was that S&C's Chairman Emeritus and majority owner John Conrad had passed away in August 2005. So at that time, the company's focus changed from redevelopment to ownership resolution. Once the ownership resolution was resolved, or the ownership issue was resolved with the establishment of an employee stock ownership plan, or ESOP, back in October of 2007, the company's focus again shifted back to redevelopment and ultimately, the DPD approved our redevelopment program 
in July of 2008. Just one month earlier, SNC had broken ground on the Advanced Technology Center. We actually had the, the mayor out. I don't know if you can see him, but Mayor Daley was out. Uh, we broke ground in, in June 2008 on the ATC. Uh, the, in various stages of construction, uh, that was the, laying the steel and the framework. We had two huge generators that were going to be used for testing. Uh, we had a green roof. That was one of the requirements uh, in working with the city of Chicago. Part of the uh, TIF process approval was that SNC would put a green roof on the ATC. And that's an overhead shot. And for those of you that do a lot of flying, a, a lot of the air, uh, airplane uh, flight patterns that come into Chicago from, from various areas actually fly right over our campus. And if you look down, you'll be able to see the green roof because we have painted the, the building right next to it white. It's pretty impressive. Uh, the other thing is the ATC is LEED certified gold, one of the very few uh, industrial buildings or testing facilities in, in the country to be a designated LEED certified gold. Uh, we're pretty proud of this uh, ATC. That's the finished building. Again, we completed the construction of the ATC towards the end of 2009, early 2010. And at the end of 10, 2010, we submitted our first completed phase request for TIF reimbursement funds with the City of Chicago for approximately $1 million. Although actual new construction costs are, are not subject to reimbursement, all of the other costs SNC incurred during this initial phase related to upgrading and modernizing our facilities were subject to reimbursement. I'm happy to report that uh, last summer SNC did receive the TIF reimbursement funds in the amount of approximately $1 million from the City of Chicago. At the end of the day, our TIF district status has been a win-win situation for both the city and SNC. For SNC, we have been able to offset some of the costs of the construction of the ATC with TIF funds and hope to continue to be reimbursed for additional upgrades to our facilities in the future. For the city, not only has SNC kept its commitment to maintain 1,500 full-time jobs here in Rogers Park, but we have actually increased our employment base from that time from 1,500 to 1,700 employees at our location. In addition, the ATC has attracted visitors from all over the world to visit, tour our campus, and obviously who stay in the city, which also benefits the hospitality industry. I'm going to be uh, happy to answer any questions on the panel. Uh, if people have you know, questions about how the process works, uh, some best practices, anything that you want to know about TIFFs, I'd be happy to answer during the panel discussion. Thank you very much. Hi, um, my name is Michael Jasso. I'm the Managing Deputy Commissioner for the Department of Housing and Economic Development. And um, I'm thankful that I'm able to follow a good TIFF story. Uh, we, think, we think there are a lot of them. Um, and I appreciated uh, Joe's introduction. Um, for better or worse, uh, I have or was involved with most of those projects uh, he mentioned. Um, most of them are downtown projects. Uh, I can also tell you that I've also been involved with a lot of other projects in neighborhoods like Albany Park, Chatham, et cetera, and my, the staff of the Department of Housing and Economic Development, some of whom are here today, most notably Mary Benome, who heads up our business development. Maybe, Mary, if you can just stand and identify yourself. Um, projects all over the city. So um, it's great to have a, an audience that's very knowledgeable on TIFF because um, I'll try to run through this fairly quickly and I won't spend so much time on some of these things. But um, almost everyone here knows what a TIFF is, so I won't talk too, too much uh, about uh, that. Uh, and uh, I will talk about why we use it. And um, you know, we use it to stimulate public investment, create and retain jobs, which is has always been a focus, remains a critical focus for the current administration under Mayor Emanuel. Um, we use it for adding new housing, infrastructure, and ultimately to generate uh, new incremental dollars. 
So TIF-eligible projects include commercial revitalization, industrial, environmental cleanup, um, all the things you kind of would typically find TIF projects here in the state of Illinois or pretty much anywhere. And I think that's a critical component because often here in Chicago, you kind of hear TIF, TIF, TIF as if TIFs were created here. And the reality is they aren't. They're a widely used tool throughout the United States. Everywhere, TIF fundamentally, although there are differences in state statutes, operates very similar. It's based on promoting development today based off the promise or the future of taxes into the future. This is an important slide that I would just like to point out, only to one extent, while everyone here understands how TIF works, which is, i.e., it's created, then over time, increment builds up, that increment being used to support growth. One of the things we always hope for whenever we create a TIF district is, at the end of the day, this line of increase here in terms of property taxes should be a steeper line, a higher slope, than it would have been had no TIF ever been involved. Fundamentally, that the end result is better than had there been no assistance kind of through the use of TIF to support, whether it's infrastructure investment or private investment. And I will tell you that, for instance, when the central loop TIF went away, that was very much the picture we saw. In fact, one of the things that you seldom hear out there is that at the end of the life of the central loop TIF, the tax burden borne by the TIF in the downtown for the city as a whole was substantially greater than when we started the TIF district. So, kind of, so presumably one of those effects is that there's a lower kind of carrying of the tax burden by the rest of the city. And that's a good thing to the residents of the city of Chicago. Um, very quickly, just kind of some of the other uh, kind of important notices. Um, why we use TIF? We started out the discussion with uh, uh, a question. Uh, TIF, is it uh, villain or hero? I'll contend it's neither. It's just a tool. Kind of, it's a tool to achieve objective that we, do, that, that we try to see, which is redevelopment, jobs. Why do we use it? Is because one of the things that we find is that we have a lack of a lot of other tools. So increasingly over the we started relying on TIF, not just this city, but many places, through declining, through declining federal dollars, through declining local dollars. So TIF became a very important kind of tool uh, for cities, uh, whether it's Chicago or any other place. As I mentioned, 49 states use TIF. This number is actually wrong in terms of 400 TIFs in the state of Illinois. It's actually more uh, closer to over 1,000 TIFs. Um, Chicago has neither the most TIFs by area or per capita basis among jurisdictions in the state of Illinois. But we use, do use it quite extensively, and it has proven to be a very powerful tool here in the city. I won't go bore, bore you with the legislative process. Um, it's a bit of the, uh, learning how to make sausage, and I don't think anyone cares too much about the learning of making sausage. <laughs> so um, some of the, very quickly, there is a process. Uh, the only thing I will say, of course, is that the process is laid out by state law. Um, uh, so often the city is criticized, or sometimes the city is criticized of the process. Uh, the process is very formulaic. It's laid out by the TIF statute of the state that says how you go about creating a TIF district. And ultimately, it's based on the considerations of are there findings? Is there a need for public investment in a given area to support private development, public infrastructure development that wouldn't happen or would be unlikely to happen in any real time with any kind of uh, kind of uh, holistic approach kinda, if there was not a public involvement. So these are generally the underwriting, uh, the um, cr criteria for creating a TIF district in the city. How do we look at deals? Well, obviously we review applications as they come in and applications take many different forms because while we talked about the Uniteds, the CMEs, and others that come in, very sophisticated organizations, we also have storefront owners um, kind of on Western Avenue that come in and are trying to do a TIF development. So we have various degrees of sophistication. And as I'm sure everyone here knows, that size does not necessarily determine complexity. We've had many projects of very small TIF assistance that are incredibly complex compared to some very large projects. So a couple of quick examples of TIF at work in Chicago, uh, uh, and these are all relatively recent projects. Um, we use it for residential development and historic restoration. This is a project called the Sachs, Pin, uh, Hairpin, uh, the Sachs Hairpin Lofts. It was a historic building that the city had acquired. We use TIF as a way of redeveloping this critical cor uh, corner building kind of that stands on Milwaukee Avenue uh, to restore commercial activity to the ground floor, 
create artist lofts and affordable senior housing throughout the building. It just had its ribbon cutting last year and really is a showcase of a building being brought into productive use that's not only generating taxes, kind of that it hadn't been for a long time, but it was also serving as a real catalyst to bring other development to the community. Commercial development, I think everyone here has heard the expression kind of, um, of food deserts. We are using TIP extensively throughout the city to promote commercial development, particularly in key areas where there's been lack of investment. 119th and Marshfield was uh, a site that the city provided about $26 million of TIP assistance in to help attract a target, a jewel uh, kind of uh, at, at location, and really provide some kind of critical retail services that for the most part hadn't been existent on the uh, south side of the city. And finally, some old traditional uses, industrial. Um, one of the things we talk about is the fact that Chicago, although we've certainly transformed over the last kind of century, that industrial remains a critical part of the economy. Um, so as, as you know, uh, the stockyards is a series of TIFs. I believe there's five different TIFs there. They're some of the oldest TIFs in the city, but the city had used TIFs extensively for land assembly, remediation, et cetera. And today, the stockyards is home to probably close to 10,000 jobs. I will tell you that at its low, when kind of the stockyards closed down, at one point it had about 200 people working in this area. So quite extensively a transformation into what really is a, a, has become a modern urban industrial kind of park, uh, very much in the heart of the city. We also do realize that at the end of the day, Kinda, it's not just about investing in capital and physical improvements, it's about investing in human capital. So one of the things we are using TIF extensively for is a program we call TIF Works. Illinois statute is, is somewhat unique in the sense that it basically says you can use TIF for basically almost uh, kind of all sorts of capital investment, remediation, rehabilitation, you can't use it for new construction. But there's a nice line item that we're very attracted to, which is for job training. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not just about what businesses do physically, it's about how they invest in their own people and workforce. So we're using TIFWorks extensively to work with businesses in providing job training for those businesses. And these are employer driven. These aren't us, the city, coming in and saying, hey, we think you should do this training. It's basically responding to businesses that say, you know what, if we could do this kind of training or if we could add this piece of machinery and bring our workforce up to it, we'd expand our jobs, we'd retain our jobs. And so we're working extensively throughout the city in expanding the use of TIF works, in expanding the TIF areas where we can do it in. Right now we have about 40. We're going to double that this coming year, uh, kind of throughout the city. Um, since we've uh, started it, uh, we've funded some 435 businesses, affecting about 14,000 individuals trained, all sorts of different trainings, all employer driven. And finally, in more recent years, we've used TIF extensively for infrastructure investment, um, kind of such as streets. Uh, kind of, and a very big uh, uh, use has been for schools where we have basically um, used it for the construction of new schools, the rehabilitation of new schools. And this has been critically important during a period when our uh, Chicago Public Schools hasn't received much funding from the state, so they could use their limited funding to invest in schools outside of TIF districts. So through this program, through using TIF on schools as an example, over the past and the upcoming uh, few years, the city will have invested close to a billion dollars in our schools through tax increment financing. And finally, uh, infrastructure, as I said, this is uh, the newly uh, just uh, uh, opened uh, Morgan Street Station on the Green Line, which was funded through TIPS, so from helping our transit infrastructure along with our streets, et cetera. Most recently, and Joe talked about this, TIF reform efforts of, the, uh, of uh, uh, Mayor Emanuel. Um, in May, there was an announcement by the mayor that we were going to create a task force, that, a reform task force that focused on how to make TIF transactions more accountable, more transparent, uh, coming through the process. In August, the reform uh, task force delivered its work product to the mayor, and just um, uh, at the end of, uh, it actually says February, but I think it was January 30th technically, um, the TIF reform recommendations came out, which talked about how we are going to be implementing things to promote transparency via more online resources, as, also, as well as more coherent online resources, um, how we're evaluating projects, how we will increasingly put up the rationalization, the justifications of why we invest in projects and why we think they're a good return to the city, um, how we audit to make sure at the end of the day the city and, and, the, and the residents of the city are getting their money's worth for it, 
uh, as well as um, how we review it. Finally, um, if you want to go and find information for TIF, and it's continually evolving, um, we have the City of Chicago's website on TIF, where, which is right in front of you. So I'll leave that up for a second in case anyone's interested, but you can always find it. And uh, with that, I'll, I'll close. Thank you. Okay, at this time, we're going to open it up for questions. Um, we have a microphone. We just have, we have one microphone, okay. Uh, does anyone have any questions? We know there's a lot. Oh, we have one. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Ben Kadish. I'm a, my regular job is a commercial mortgage broker, but I'm involved in a big property on the south side, on the southeast corner of the city that we got approved for a TIF in 2008 in September, the same week that Lehman Brothers went down and the whole world stops. What does the city do if nothing occurred on a TIF development, and it's now been three or four years since the first approval, with the dates that the things are supposed to run for 23 years. Sorry, I was looking around for Mike, but I guess I'm already Mike. <laughs> um, so, so in this case, and it sounds like it was a project that was approved, kinda, and uh, I'm assuming perhaps we closed on a redevelopment agreement, perhaps uh, kind of... So it got approved, uh, planning and development, and the CDC, and then the world stopped. So uh, the dates that would have been improved in CDC are basically, what goes to, and CDC, I apologize, is the Community Development Commission. It's the public hearing body that the state says every jurisdiction has to have, in our case it's called the Community Development Commission, to review the use of TIF in, for private transactions in TIF districts and what we land, do in terms of land use. So it's the first part of the legislative step, and that's the approval. Typically, what we take to the Community Development Commission is generally a term sheet that says, here's the project generally. What ultimately gets codified into law is the actual redevelopment agreement that gets approved subsequent to that by city council. Now, in this case, it sounds like we haven't taken an RDA yet to city council. So we have flexibility on things like dates, et cetera. What we don't have as much flexibility on is that if we said we were giving this project $5 million, kind of... Uh, we probably can't go forward to city council, you know, even at a, at a later date for a $10 million assistance without first bringing it back. So we have flexibility on dates. I will tell you very often uh, we are looking at, we realize uh, uh, kind of through no fault of their own, sometimes businesses don't make deadlines. We take those deadlines seriously, but we also realize that we need to be flexible as a partner, so we work with you to try to figure out are you going to achieve the same objective, is it going to take a different timeline, and what do we need to change? Yeah, so I, I think uh, uh, what I'm hearing is, uh, or from based on the question is, we have some flexibility to work with you. The credit environment is tough, so we're trying to figure out other ways that we can help move projects along, even in light of the credit environment. But also, you talked about a the 23-year provision, I believe, and I'm not sure if your specific development or the specific TIF that your development was in actually has started if it was a project-driven TIF. And I think that's another point I think you have to understand. If it hasn't cleared all of the hurdles, the TIF itself may not actually exist at this point. Okay. I'm relatively new to the TIF process. Excuse me, would you mind stating your name? Oh, Amy Steinbeck. I'm with the Jesse White Foundation. Um, what is the ratio, what is the criteria that you use to determine the amount of TIF funds that are given to a project versus the private investment made? It's, it's about uh, 30%. So in our case, we had committed to uh, spending $140 million of our own funds, and we had anticipated TIF reimbursement of a little bit less than 40 million over the 23 years. So it's, it's about, 20, I think it was actually 28.8% was the exact number. So, and that's the specific to uh, kind of uh, that transaction. Really the way we approach it is, uh, while yes, we do have certain limitations we don't like to go above, we really start with the most basic premise, what do you need? 
and, and what do you need is based on the, do we think you've exhausted all traditional forms of financing, debt equity into a project itself, if you're a not-for-profit, grants, et cetera. We try to limit our exposure kind of on any individual project while still achieving the goal of having the project become a reality. And does the financing need to be in place before you issue the TIF? So, uh, so it doesn't need to be in place from the standpoint of we may not close on the transaction until all the financing is in place. We may take it through the legislative process, complete that, but we'll basically say, you know what, we're not going to close on this until your debt is there, your equity, whatever the case may be. So there are different variations. Um, sometimes we provide upfront funding, but we want some security while you're going and completing your financing. So it's, uh, I, know, I know it's a cliche, but it, there's very few cookie cutter deals. Close mean disperse, like to disperse? Agreed to fund. All your other sources are there. Okay, thank you. Other questions? Uh, Brian Hayes with Becknell Industrial Properties. Clearly, there's a, this is a useful tool and some great stories here, but why does TIF have a sometimes negative perception? Why are we uh, talking about the villain side of the equation? I'd be curious uh, to hear from all of you to what you think is driving that, uh, that negative perception at times. Well, the perception is driven by um, the small portion of deals that people think may not need to be done. For example, uh, just yesterday, I received an email saying that we were marching from the Golden Toilet back to City Hall, which it was in reference to the CME's deal regarding the refurbishment of some of their internal facilities. And so sometimes people will say that, you know what, did the CME really need these dollars, whereas these dollars could have gone towards schools or the property taxes could have been lowered to help schools or to give other people dollars. And that's where I feel that most of the uh, the negative connotation comes from is from those they think that do not need TIF assistance. I also think that uh, some of the more high-profile negative publicity comes from the fact that some of the uh, companies or developers that have gotten TIF, uh, TIF funds or promise of TIF funds don't move forward with their commitment. Uh, some of that may be their own fault. Some of it may be the fault of the economy, as that, that gentleman once said, you know, just said. You know, you, I know when we... Uh, went to the uh, DPD and said, you know, we are making this commitment to spend $140 million uh, over 20 years. You know, we were going out on a limb. We were assuming that the construction of our advanced technology center was going to enable us to, to build and develop these proprietary products for the smart grid and that our business would generate enough uh, capital and, and our facilities would need modernization. And we were very fortunate that that turned out. Uh, I think SNC happened to be in the right place at the right time for smart grid technology. And we, are, uh, we have honored commitment and I intend to honor our commitment. Uh, some other companies that don't, I think that gives a bad, uh, bad name to TIFs. I guess uh, the only thing I, I would add is um, uh, it's, a, some, it, it's not rocket science, but it's not exactly the easiest or kind of thing to grasp. So, so, Often there's a perception, for instance, that TIF is a new tax. That's one piece out there um, that, that creates a certain amount of controversy. Sometimes it's about perceptions as to what ha has the belief of what happened versus. So I find it interesting that we've been talking about CME a couple of times now. CME is a deal we never closed on. We never kind of paid a single cent out on in terms of the city, uh, et cetera. So we never re but yet there's a talk as if it was a live, completed deal. So that's one piece out there. It's one of my most interesting observations I have, at least for me, is that very seldom do I find projects in individual communities that were TIF funded where that community in which that project is in wasn't generally supportive of. I would add uh, to uh, everyone's remarks that there is there's two things that I think contribute to some of the skepticism. One is that there haven't been a lot of economic development plans for the TIF areas in specificity, which uh, the current administration is, is uh, changing that approach so that there is a benchmark to measure proposals against. And so when there's no benchmark and, and something occurs and there's a lack of uh, clarity as to where an opportunity came from, uh, then there's always the tendency to think uh, negatively. And along those lines, the city must use TIF because it's one of its only economic development tools, to be responsive to opportunities. The city cannot predict, for example, 
when they're going to receive an RFP suggesting that they propose um, on a headquarters that is out of state that is also being confidentially uh, sent to two other cities. And so they must work within those limits of confidentiality, respond, and the first time perhaps the public sees it is when it's announced. And so there's a feeling that, well, wait a minute, there was a backroom deal here. Well, un unfortunately, in that case, there was no alternative. It, had, it was a matter of confidentiality. So I think sometimes the city just doing its job and working with the private sector in those conditions um, uh, takes a bad rap. I'd like to add one more thing, too. There's always some publicity about local school districts feeling that uh, they're missing out because of these TIF funds. Uh, the fact of the matter is what tax increment financing means, and I'm not sure everybody understands this, is you only get TIF funds if your property taxes go up. And the, the, the theory being that if you uh, continue to develop, uh, enhance, modernize, or build new construction, your property taxes are going to go up. And that increment of increase comes back to you. Had you not done that, and there had not been any increment, the schools would have been no worse off. It, it's, it's just, uh, you know, in order to, to get to funds, you have to be doing something that increases your property taxes. One way back there. Jeff Go with UGL Services. What's the size of the TIF bucket at the moment? Well, go ahead, Mike. So um, I don't have the most current numbers. Um, generally, the city uh, collects through all the TIF districts, and this changes annually because some TIFs drop, drop off, they finish, they terminate, et cetera. We're probably not adding a lot of TIF right now. But in most recent years, it's been around $465 million in annual revenue collections, of which we have um, almost an equivalent amount, slightly less, of obligations, either real or pending, kind of in the, in the pipeline. So, so it's a lot of projects. There are probably some uh, kind of 400 or so outstanding RDA redevelopment agreements or intergovernmental agreements where we're funding, you know, kind of different pieces. So. Uh, I have a, a question. Uh, out there in the audience are real estate directors of corporations and their advisors, many of which might be thinking about proposing uh, a TIF, uh, proposing or requesting TIF assistance on a project in the future. How would each of you, or what insights or recommendations would, would each of you uh, give with regard to um, from a business perspective, a city perspective, and elected official perspective in approaching the city with a proposal? I'll take, take the lead on this one. Uh, first of all, I think you have to have a plan in place. And this plan has to be able to basically convince the city that what you're, you're doing is in the best interest of the city of Chicago and its citizens. Uh, also, you have to be able to make a commitment as I said, you have to be able to make a commitment over a period of time to continue to make capital expenditures in your facilities. And you also have to make a commitment to either retain a certain amount of jobs or to add jobs. You know, there's a, you know, in, in your industry, there's the mantra is location, location, location. Well, in the TIF, the mantra is jobs, jobs, jobs. And if you can, uh, you know, show that you've, you've got a work base, and you've got an employment base that's it's going to at least stay the same or continue to grow if your business grows, uh, that's a, a, a great way to go to the city of Chicago and, and, and say you have, you have uh, a plan and that the TIF funds will help move that plan forward. And I would uh, echo uh, what was stated. Uh, jobs are one of the key factors. The other factor that we have to look at is what other development could follow. For example, if you bring a large-scale development to a blighted area, what else could follow behind it? Generally, the first guy that's in generally gets the best deal. And so when we look for uh, real estate companies to be pioneers in areas, I think we sometimes have a little more leniency because we're looking not just at what they're going to do, but potentially what the others that may come to the table may bring in other areas of development. 
for example, in, in my ward, I have Brock's, uh, an industrial site that's 30 acres, probably one of the largest sites that are available on the west side. And we look at what is the potential if we broke this site up and what could we uh, possibly create. So we have to look at it in, in, in more than just one lens because we have to also look at the future development that may come from just a catalyst being there. And TIF is designed to, to, to bridge that gap. I couldn't agree more with the two comments that, that were made. I always say that the first thing I want to talk about is the opportunity. Uh, kind of what, what, are we, uh, what does this mean to the city? Why is it good for the city? Why is it good for you? Why is it good for city residents? That's what I really want to talk about um, initially. And then we can figure out, you know, kind of uh, and how developed your plan is, whatever you're, you're thinking of doing. Uh, you know, to me, the financing is a secondary discussion that, that, that I realize you want to have first. But as a city, I want to hear second, so. <laughs> Other questions? We know they're out there. Don't be shy. Well, you know, one of the, building on the, the villain comment earlier, uh, there has been just a lot of criticism uh, related to this interaction of school funding and TIFs. And uh, perhaps, uh, Mike, you can, you can comment a little bit on uh, steps the city has taken to uh, address that, and uh, uh, Alderman Irvin, perhaps you can you can weigh in as well at, in terms of how you balance uh, in your ward economic development and school funding. Well, I'll take a first stab on, on it, and um, uh, Mike alluded to it uh, right at the start, which is that fundamentally, um, so the argument being that TIFs take from schools. Um, that resonates more if you believe that the TIF wasn't necessary to begin with. I, the ta there's no incremental tax growth, and you're just kind of reparceling out what would have happened anyway. Kind of uh, fundamentally, I think when we create TIF districts, we don't believe that. We think that the TIF will generate a net result that's higher than had there been no, no TIF. Number one. Two is is that the city of Chicago, as I've talked about earlier, has been quite um, kind of uh, kind of extensively using tax increment to rehabilitate build new schools, kind of acquire land for schools throughout the city, kind of using TIF. Um, and sometimes it's just been because the area we've been investing and there's TIF uh, that we're using, sometimes it's directly related to a specific private development where we've had a chance to partner development to, to make it happen. So kinda, as I said, through that, after uh, 23 years or 24 years of history and some kind of three and a half, four billion dollars of expenditure of TIF, you know, we've spent about close to a quarter of that on school projects throughout the city. Uh, and like I said, that has also freed up the limited capital that schools have had to use their own capital on areas that aren't in TIF districts. So we remain keenly aware of that. And I guess the third point I, say, I would point out is that TIFs by themselves, schools ha have, a, and this is one of the things that's often lost, so I'd often, I, I suggest people that if you really want to dig into it, there's an excellent article that was done by the Civic Federation talking about TIF districts and their effect on schools, which is schools have a statutory levy cap in terms of how they raise taxes. And they tax to that levy almost consistently. So the creation of a TIF, whether TIF was or wasn't there, doesn't mean schools in and of themselves would have more capital to work with um, simply because the TIF uh, isn't there. And also, I believe that uh, many of the construction projects and many of the additions and improvements that have happened for Chicago public schools would not have happened if it were not for those dollars. It is not that every dollar that potentially could have uh, been redirected from a TIF would go toward capital improvement. Uh, many of those dollars is finding their way into the budgets of operations. And what it has done, and I can give an example in my ward, we built a brand new high school, a Western House High School, which was on one of Mike's slides state-of-the-art high school on the west side of Chicago that would not have come had it not been for TIF funding. So again, we look at it from a perspective of improving communities, which is much more than improving just the uh, physical, the business, but we also have to look at some of the institutions in the community that make up and can create an environment that would want to attract the businesses such as yours to come to it. Uh, Gary Skoog, Hoffman Estates. How do you respond to the comment that with declining property values, little new construction, that TIF is a tool that's hard to get out of the toolbox. Can you repeat that, please? Going forward, with the declining property values, uh, not near as much construction, new construction, 
to, which helps build the increment, um, TIF is not nearly as powerful a tool as it used to be. Well, given what how would you comment? Yeah, given what you just stated, if you have a uh, artificially depressed real estate value at this point, the potential for it to increase is actually greater now than it would have been five, six years ago. So actually, it can more or less give you a better incentive to uh, have a TIF district if, in fact, what you're what you're creating is is going to uh, generate more value. So right now, I think that this is a great time if you're developing a TIF or in the early stages of one. Now, some of our mature TIFs that are 15 years down the road, that may be applicable, but some of our newer TIFs, this is a great opportunity for that type of increment to occur. Just from the perspective of a, a manufacturing company, uh, even though you know real estate may be, de be depressed in the, uh, the commercial market or maybe in the uh, residential market, for a uh, manufacturing facility, if, if you do not constantly modernize, upgrade, and, and enhance your manufacturing capability, you're going to fall behind. Uh, we have competitors from all over the world that are willing to take our business. And if we don't continue to invest in our facilities, I don't care what the economy is doing, we're going to fall behind. So we, we make commitments to continue to invest regardless of what's going on around the area. I think, uh, I, I guess one thing I'd say is uh, we don't want for TIF projects. Um, uh, you know, we still have a tremendous amount of activity coming in our door. I think the challenge we have is that the government, the city is being asked to do more uh, consistently. We're being asked to do more in part because of what's happening, has happened with credit markets. You know, let's face it, everyone who's out there knows that loan to values today are considerably lower than they were seven years ago or five years ago. And so developers, what we're seeing is basically saying, hey, we need you, city, to make up that difference. So, can I, so our exposure is increasing. And so while, on the other hand, we want to make, uh, on the one hand, we want to make sh push projects, you know, I, I sometimes argue part of our job is to keep the cranes going, kinda, uh, is, is we also want to balance that with risk to the city. So it's a challenge. Other questions? Uh, Jennifer Fitzgerald with Duff and Phelps. My question is, um, does the city have a plan for, as TIFs are expiring, I think there's probably a large amount of TIFs that are getting ready to expire on the 23 years. Does the city have a plan for extending those, or what happens when a TIF is no longer a tool? So I'll talk, So the city itself has not expanded, uh, has not extended the life of many TIFs. The state uh, authority allows cities to go to the state uh, kind of legislature and seek a 12-year extension to a TIF, and then if the state legislature gives it to you, then the local jurisdiction, the legislative body, can approve the extension. I think we've only done about four, to, to my knowledge, and they've all been in very specific circumstances because there was a very concrete opportunity uh, or ongoing development project that really needed that extra life to finish it or come to fruition. I don't think what, you're not gonna see us going speculatively to extend a TIF life if it's not achieved anything over 20 years because we think it's gonna suddenly on a 23rd year kinda of like start, start uh, you know, kinda of having proposals coming in the door left and right. That having said, we will weigh opportunities um, that come before us. Well, as we are um, reaching the end of our uh, event uh, this afternoon, I wanna thank everyone for the questions and I'd like to ask the panel just to comment on their forecast for 2012. Um, for the use of tax increment financing, given uh, some of the criticisms recently, but also all the successes over the years um, in terms of the use of tax increment financing in the future and its importance. We could uh, maybe start with you, Mike Moses, and give us your thoughts. Well, I, I continue to think that uh, tax increment financing is a great tool. Uh, SNC is committed to uh, enhance and, and modernize our facilities. We have to do that, as I mentioned, to stay competitive. Uh, it's very costly to do that, and the more, the more you spend and the more of your own capital you spend, uh, you either absorb that or you have to pass it on to your customers. So if there's any way you can get some relief uh, in form of TIF reimbursement funds, that's, that's less money basically you have to put, uh, pass on to your customers, which continues to make you competitive. And by being competitive, you continue to, to grow and, uh, you know, retain and, and, and increase your employment base. So I, I'm very optimistic. 
all of them? I, I too would share that. Uh, I am a proponent of the use of tax, tax increment financing. Uh, when you have neighborhoods with crumbling infrastructures uh, looking for development opportunities, this is a tool that is necessary in order to induce investments in areas that traditionally have not been invested in. I'm working with the city on a number of options with development because of lack of, uh, for, for example, food deserts uh, in, in the community in which I serve, working on a, a deal for a grocery store, looking at industrial development. Uh, where we are, we've just been underserved throughout, the, throughout time. And this tool has been very effective, as, as I stated earlier, development of high schools, development of infrastructure, Again, and I, I feel that it's a, it's a great tool, and uh, I'm looking forward. And if anyone is looking to move uh, to the near west side or anywhere in the city, please see me. I may have a plot of land that you may be interested in. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think you're going to continue to see activity. Um, I had a quote from the mayor, which is, I believe TIF is an essential tool to help create jobs and economic growth for the city and its residents, and we must ensure taxpayer dollars are spent wisely on projects that contribute to our long-term economic development goals and job creation. I think you see a commitment that we're not going to be running from the use of this TIF where it makes sense to promote economic development, particularly in your, our neighborhoods. I think you're going to see a strong push on that. And hopefully in this coming year with partners like the Alderman who's willing to push the envelope and see how we can use TIF creatively in our neighborhoods uh, and business partners like Mike and SNC Electric will be seeing a lot of other projects. So. Please join me in thanking our panel. Thank you again to our speakers, and please remember to fill out your surveys.